Well, let's pray together. Father, now as we come to your word, we are eager. We're eager to hear from you. We recognize these words are not merely man's words, but God, you have inspired these. And Lord, we want to take all of this to heart. We want to respond with our whole lives to what you have given us here. What we've seen throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Lord, we want to apply it all through the help, the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. Lord, guide us as always as we take up your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So join me now in Matthew 7 as we come to Jesus' final words as he wraps up his great Sermon on the Mount. So we started this months ago in Matthew chapter 5. We've now moved through Matthew chapter 7, this great Sermon on the Mount. And even from a literary standpoint, we would say this is a masterpiece. But so much more than a masterpiece, this is the sermon of our Lord. It is great, it is awesome, and we want to build our lives on the things Jesus has taught us. Well, it's been years ago now when Hillary was living at home and she had an assignment from school where we had to go to the Museum of Fine Art. I'm not a very artsy person. I didn't really want to go, but it's what you do. You take your kids to these places, they have to go for school. And so when we got there, though, I had to admit the art was kind of impressive. There were beautiful paintings, wonderful sculptures, and I had to admire the, the talent that the artist possessed to, to produce that type of art. Even though I was somewhat impressed, it was surprising to me how quickly I could move from exhibit to exhibit. I mean, I was impressed, but this wasn't changing my life. I was just moving on. In fact, I remember at a time I was so embarrassed how quickly I was breezing through. I thought, you know, I probably ought to stand here, make myself stand in front of one of these a little bit longer, at least to give the appearance that I'm somewhat appreciating all that went into this, but really wanted to move on. But think about it. What really can you do with a painting, a masterpiece of that type? I mean, the best you could do is look at the painting and say, wow, maybe, or beautiful. Maybe you could say that. Maybe if you're really impressed and if you have the means, you might even purchase a masterpiece painting. And then all you can do with it is stick it up on a wall and just look at it like a decoration. Oh, but when we come to the words of Jesus and we call this a masterpiece of a sermon, listen, this isn't merely for admiration. Listen, these are life-changing words. These are destiny-altering words. And so the words of Jesus here, they call for a response. The words of Jesus call for a decision. R.T. France said it this way, the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount is not meant to be admired, but obeyed. And that's what Jesus brings up here as he closes out his great sermon. So Matthew 7, let's pick up in verse 24 together. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching 
For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. So Jesus closes out his sermon with a clear call to act on his words. Jesus' final call to action is given to us here as a storm warning. Now, all along, Jesus has been giving us either or commands, either or calls for commitment. Remember, we've seen things like this, that you have a choice between two masters, God or money, which will it be? We saw that we had a choice between two gates, a small gate and a narrow way or a broad gate. And now we're told we have a choice between two foundations, a foundation of rock or a foundation of sand. We can either be a wise builder or we can be a foolish builder. So what has Jesus been saying here to us that he says you need to now act on it? Essentially, this Sermon on the Mount is Jesus saying to us, come to me. And we need to act on that call to come to him. But also he's saying, follow me. And he's been describing in great detail and in great beauty through chapters five through seven, this is what it would look like if you followed me in my kingdom with my kingdom values. Now, the primary way we act on Jesus's words here is to trust in him. He's saying, come away from the wide gate that leads to destruction. Trust him and come away from that gate. Jesus has been saying in this sermon, come away from pride. Come away from worry. Come away from lust. Come away from anger. And come away from greed. Jesus has been telling us, watch out for the false prophets who bring you a false religion of the Pharisees. Come away from that. So Jesus is saying, heed my call. Come to me and follow me in a radically new way of life. And if you're wise, Jesus concludes, you'll actually do that. If you trust Jesus and you actively follow his leadership, you will have a rock solid foundation for your life. Jesus speaks of the necessity of a solid foundation because of a storm that's going to beat down on every house. He describes it with rain and floods and winds. But let's ask the question then, what was Jesus talking about? What did he have in mind when he told us about a storm that would come upon our house? I think primarily Jesus has in mind and is trying to impress upon us once again this topic of a coming judgment. A coming judgment. Isn't that the context of what we've been seeing here, particularly in chapter 7? It was just last time we considered where Jesus talked about there's coming a day when people will stand before him. Some of them will be claiming, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say to many on that day, in a day of judgment, depart from me, I never knew you. The context here in chapter 7 has been judgment or when he talked about the wide gate and the narrow gate. We saw there that was a warning about judgment because the wide gate enters and it goes on a broad way that leads to destruction. We also saw that theme of judgment when it came to these false prophets. They were likened to bad trees with bad fruit who were destined to be thrown into the fire. And now the Lord tells us, just as strong storms test the quality of any structure, there's coming a day of testing when your life will be revealed for what it is. Many of you might remember Hurricane Katrina back in 2005. It was a terrible, terrible storm. That storm, Hurricane Katrina, affected about 15 million people. It impacted 90,000 square miles, all the way from central Florida to east Texas. Can you imagine? 
The winds topped 175 miles per hour, a Category 5 hurricane. The storm surge on the Mississippi coast reached 30 feet. This hurricane produced 33 tornadoes. And then sadly this, 1,800 people died in that hurricane. Such devastation on all kinds of people. That storm impacted the rich and the poor, the believers and the unbelievers, the prepared and the unprepared. This was a devastating storm. And yet here we come to the judgment of God likened here to a storm. This storm of judgment will far surpass any category five hurricane. Only those who have built their lives on Jesus will withstand the judgment that is to come. But all who have spurned the call of Jesus, turned away from him, uh, they will perish in what's coming in this judgment. So those without Christ will experience ultimate catastrophe. They'll be cast away, swept away from the presence of God. But in love, Jesus warns all of us that that is coming and that we might turn and come to him and have a foundation that will withstand that by knowing him. So let me ask you very practically, is your life built upon Jesus? Have you acted on Jesus's call to salvation? He already died for you, raised from the dead and makes the offer to you. Have you acted on his offer to save you? Have you acted on his call to follow him as the Lord of your life? If you trust Jesus, you'll have a firm foundation in the judgment that is to come. You will be saved. Your house will stand because your foundation is on Jesus and his righteousness, which he accomplished for you. So if you are wise, you will indeed respond to Jesus's word, put your faith in him and follow him. So trust Jesus today. Ask him to save you. Don't wait for the end of the sermon right now. Jesus, please save me. I need you to save me. And, and let him lead your life. Take up his words and follow after him. So I think as we apply this message to ourselves first, I think we consider this storm making us think about the ultimate storm, the judgment to come. I need a firm foundation there. But I believe we also should apply this to life right now. The, the various hardships that you and I face even now in this life. So I think about this. I don't just follow Jesus because I know I'm going to need him on a future day of judgment. I need him now and you need him now. Listen, I need him in this life with all the decisions, all the challenges, all the hurts, all the tragedies. I need him now. There are many storms now. So notice here, Jesus does not promise that you and I as his children he never promises we will not have storms. Oh, we will have storms. But what he does promise, if we are in him, we'll have a foundation in him greater than any storm that we will face. And so we see that Jesus tells us here, as he tells this kind of as a parable here, that there are two identical looking houses. There are two men who are building, but the same storm comes to both of them. The difference is in the foundation. Notice this, this is more subtle. When you look at houses, unless you're about to buy it, you just look at how they look, what's above ground. But here Jesus said, oh, it's what's beneath the surface that's gonna make all the difference in whether a house is gonna stand or one is going to collapse. Now, which foundation do you have in your life? 
your life is either on the rock of Jesus through your faith in him or your life is without any foundation. You're just following the whims. You're following the shifting opinions of the culture. It's what Jesus said. It's building your life upon the sand. Is that you? That there's really no strength in your life? There's no foundation that you can count on? Listen, you need a foundation because a future storm is coming, but there are plenty to happen even in this life. Listen, you're going to go through financial struggles. You need a foundation. There are health crises. You're going to go through grief. You'll be betrayed by people in this life. If you're married, you may have marital trouble and you're going to need a foundation for you and your spouse. You'll go through times of disillusionment, slander, and listen, certainly persecution. Do you have a foundation that will stand even persecution in these days and whatever may be coming? But people handle these difficulties that I've described in different ways. And I've seen this through years of ministry. Two people can go through the same storm and have very different reactions to it. I've seen people where one person becomes bitter and turns away from God. But in the same storm, another person praises God for being good to her through the trial. I've seen one turn on God and another turn to God. I've seen people go through the same difficulties and one angrily demands of God, why would you let this happen to me? Even me, as wonderful as I've been. But I've watched others humbly accept the adversity and bringing their pain to the Lord, trusting God to bring something good from it. I've seen people go through the same types of trouble and some will experience a spiritual wipeout and then others will be still standing, yes, bruised and beaten by whatever difficulty, but coming through it steady, strong, even radiant. You're not gonna see this, but in my notes, I've written down some of the members of our church through the years that I've seen go through really difficult times, but even to this day, I'm inspired by it, how they have a radiant, radiant faith, standing strong, even through tears and difficulties that they've experienced. Listen, adversity will reveal the foundation you have in your life. Corey Ten Boom, lived during World War II and she and her family were Christians and they were hiding the Jews from the Nazis. Well, they were caught for doing so and she and her whole family were put in a Nazi concentration camp because they were helping save the Jews. Her sister even died in the concentration camp. Well, she tells the story of being in Germany in 1947 and she was speaking and there in the audience was one of the cruelest former uh, prison guard camps that she encountered. She says this, that she was reluctant to forgive him, but prayed that she'd be able to. She wrote this. She said, for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. She also wrote that in her post-war experience with other victims of, of this Nazi brutality, that it was those who were able to forgive who were best able to rebuild their lives. So, so where did Corey Ten Boom learn about forgiving your enemies? Where did she learn that? She learned that from Jesus. She learned that from the Sermon on the Mount. She didn't just know it, but she acted on it. And she said, it's my experience that those who, who could do that, they fared better as they rebuilt their lives after those atrocities that they had experienced. Let me ask you, do you have a foundation like that in your life? Is your life built on the rock? or is it built on the sand? 
Throughout the scriptures, God is likened to a rock that we run to. He's the one that we trust. He's the one that we have as the security of our lives. Here's a great example. Psalm 18, verse 2. David wrote, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. That's who God is to us who know him, who are following him. So we have God as the foundation of our lives. And scripture also describes him as being the covering over us. How about Psalm 91 verses 1 and 2? He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Oh, you need to know him and you need to follow after him. It's impossible to say, yes, God is my rock, but I don't trust him enough to do what he's called me to do. But many people act that way. They'll say that they are followers of Jesus. The only problem is they don't intend to actually follow Jesus. They don't trust Jesus with their finances, what the Bible teaches about good stewardship and how to manage money well, the book of Proverbs and elsewhere. No, I, I'll do something else. Maybe they say they are Christian, but they won't let Jesus lead in their marriages and in their families. They don't trust Jesus to actually lead their lives. I'll do the leading myself. You can have me when it comes to heaven, but I will lead me now. Many people who call themselves Christians will actually act like God has been silent on all the, all the complicated issues of our day, all the hot button issues of the day. But God has spoken and we're to build our lives on what he has said. When it comes to matters of life and when does life begin, God has spoken to that. We take it up. What is love? What's good? And what's evil? What is marriage? What is parenting? And how do you do it? What's truth? What's it mean? What's it mean to be a man? What's it mean to be a woman? God has spoken to all of this and we trust him and we take up his word and we act according. So we must act on his words. This is what Jesus is saying in the concluding words of his Sermon on the Mount. His words are life. His words are health. Psalm 19, verses 7 and following. I love this. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. We are wise, Jesus said. When we'll hear his words and we act on them, building our lives on his truth. And time and time again, I see in my own life that God's word works. And I see it in the lives of believers. And so when I think about applying the scriptures in my own life, I don't find myself envious of others who have spurned the scriptures and are doing it their way. I have pity for those. Because it doesn't take long just to watch. If I walk in the ways that God has described, if I walk in the ways that Jesus has described, then this goes better. Other than persecution coming inbound, this goes better. Relationships work better. Life just works better. But when we turn from what God has said and we think we're wiser, oh, I see lots of misery there. Listen, we're wise to hear and apply the word of God. So listen, don't just read the Bible, but read it. Don't just study the Bible, but do study it. 
but act on what God has said. To read the Bible and then not put those precious truths into practice in your life, it'd be like going to the doctor when you're sick and hearing his advice and then not doing it. How foolish is that? If the doctor says, I, I want you to take this medicine, I want you to start eating right, I want you to exercise, and I want you to try to get more sleep. And you go, thanks for the information, but I'm not going to do it. That is foolish. But are you that way spiritually? Are there things that God has clearly told you in the word and you have chosen? I'm not going to do that. I know better than God. I'm going to do it a different way. Let's just test this a second. So you've known your whole life that prayer is important, that there's power in prayer, that I need to be in God's presence. You know that. You've heard that. But do you do it? Are you making prayer an important part of your life? Or how about the Bible? You agree. You come to this church, you agree. The Bible is the word of God. What a precious treasure it is. It's living and active and sharper than any of your two-edged swords. You know that. But do you actually prioritize getting that word into your life through reading it? Or maybe you know this. I know that everybody needs Jesus. There's only one savior. I know that. And I know every Christian should be sharing the gospel. But are you doing it? Are you seeking through God's help to share this gospel? Or maybe you know this, you know, I know that every Christian has at least one spiritual gift that they should employ in serving the body. Are you doing that? Or maybe God's been calling you to do something. Yeah, I, I know he's been calling me to do something, but I've been resisting him. I've been refusing him. James 1.22, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he's looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. I remember a man I knew at a previous church many years ago now, I'll call him Don. Don would come to me for advice. Though I was a young guy and a young pastor, he would ask me for advice. And sometimes it was about emotional struggles he was having, or maybe it was about relationship difficulties he was having, even about his own finances. And so I would just give him sound advice. I, I think back on the advice I gave him all these years later, I told him right. Much of it was just common sense, but it was uncanny. No matter what I told him, invariably, he would come back and see me again with greater pain and greater sorrow in his life. And, and I'd ask him about it. He didn't follow my advice. That was the pattern. He'd come and hear the advice and would do the opposite and just pain after pain. I've even seen this in marriage counseling. It's been a number of years ago now, meeting with a couple uh, week after week over, over a long period of time. And there came that time when finally I thought, I can't meet with them anymore because I'm giving what needs to happen in their relationship, the things that they need to start doing, the, need, the things they need to stop doing. I'm repeating myself every time we meet. I have nothing new to offer. I'm tapped out. And so on that last session, I just typed up 12 bullet points. And just reminded them of what we've been talking about for weeks. Here are the, the good things you need to start putting into your marriage. Here are the dumb things you need to start taking out of your marriage. This is all I have for you. And then I gave them a referral to somebody else if they needed to talk further. What's frustrating to me, but I understand that, you know, we're the same way toward God. God's been telling us things. He cares for us. Nobody loves us like him. But are we doing what he said? Ezekiel 33 verse 32 God told the prophet Ezekiel this, behold, you are to them like a sensual song by one who has a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not practice them. Just another word for us. It's not enough to know the truth. We must know it, but we must act on it if we're going to benefit from it. Some years ago here in Richmond, I met a man out about town 
And somehow we were talking about spiritual things. And he told me this, I've read the Bible through 25 times. That was his boast. I was impressed with that. I affirmed that. That's wonderful. So I was curious, where do you go to church? So, so I asked, where, where do you go to church? And then he said this, I don't. I don't go to church. He said, I have a problem with organized religion. So think about that. I was nice to him. I didn't rebuke him. I didn't, didn't even hardly know him. But, but I was thinking, 25 times through reading the Bible, you would have read through Acts. By your own admission, you would have read through Acts 25 times where you would have seen how valuable the church is and how churches are being planted across the world and they're growing. 25 times he would have read the epistles, which were written to churches and written to church leaders for the benefit of building up the church. How is that possible? But just hearing it, reading it 25 times and not acting on it. Listen, when you and I read the Bible, may we always read for relationship. God, I'm meeting with you in your word. And may we read in order to respond. Well, notice how Jesus ends this. After Jesus says these words about acting on his words, verse 28, look at the response of the people. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. And isn't that really the point? That Jesus really does teach with authority. And you and I, every time we take up the Bible, whether it's the Sermon on the Mount or any other place in the scriptures, we recognize this is from God. This is authoritative. I will build my life on this. I will trust Jesus and I will, through his help, live up to what he's calling me to do as I follow him. So as we wrap up, would you think about with me just what we've seen over these last few months? Have these words of Jesus changed you in any way? Have you changed the way you have acted based on what Jesus has taught us in the Summer on Mount? Or have we just admired all these wonderful teachings here? Just a quick test. Let's ask ourselves, am I more like what's described in the Beatitudes in chapter 5, 1 through 12? Is that more like me now that I've heard Jesus teach on that? How about this from Matthew 5, 13 through 17? Am I taking up my responsibility to be salt and light in the world more so because of what Jesus said about that? Or how about Matthew 5, 21 through 26? How am I handling my anger now? Jesus called it out, told us where to be the type of people to reconcile with others. Is that more like me now that I've heard Jesus teach on it? What about victory over lust in our lives? According to what we saw in Matthew 5, 21 through 26. Or how about have we reaffirmed our commitment to our marriages after Jesus' teaching on divorce? Are we more truthful people when Jesus taught us how our yes ought to be yes and our no, no? Do we, do we love our enemies now? Are we praying for our persecutors because Jesus taught us to be that way? Or how about our motives? When we pray, when we give to the poor, when we fast, do we have the motives God wants us to have? Is money our master or is God our master? How are we doing in the realm of worry after Jesus is teaching on that? Or are we trusting him more? Are we judgmental or have we repented on that, of that? And are we discerning rightly? Or how about this one? Have we entered through the narrow gate by trusting in Jesus? And then today, are we building on the rock of Christ by trusting him and following after him? Well, to conclude this, I wanna read a classic hymn to us. Don't worry, I won't sing it to you. I know my gifts and it's not that one. But let me read to you this great hymn, The Solid Rock, and let, let's, let's let this be the way we wrap up this Sermon on the Mount series. Hear these words. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. 
On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before his throne. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand.